birthday to us happy birthday it's our 52nd episode we've done it one solid year of ranking the beatles 52 whole weeks 52 weeks 52 episodes 52 episodes who'd have thought we'd have made it can't believe we've done it i certainly didn't believe we'd make it i didn't think so it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me (laughs) well uh i can safely say that this podcast would not exist if not for you because Had I done this by myself, as I originally planned, I certainly would have given up on this months ago. You think? <laughs> Probably. Mm. Or at least found someone, I'd have gone and found another co-host who wouldn't be quite as great as you. Oh, that's so, nice. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. I feel very appreciated. You should be. You are appreciated. Aww. You are loved. You are valued. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Uh, everybody, Welcome. We're calling this our uh, our one year rank anniversary, June fourteenth, twenty twenty. We first released our our first teaser, as well as our intro episodes, an intro for me and an intro for you. And uh, this episode, our fifty second, will be dropping um, June fifteenth, twenty twenty one. As we record this intro, it was a year ago today that. Sergeant Priestess taught the band to rank. Womp, womp. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, but what a year it's been. I can't believe we've done this for a whole year. A lot has happened in the past year. It's been a busy year, y'all. Lots mm-hmm. of, lot of things happened. A lot of things have gone on and changed. And Holy smokes. Yeah. I don't even want to recount it because <laughs> no, we all I lived it. So yeah, there's I'm no good. need to do that. Just forward. But um, I do want to say uh, before we... Uh, get too far into it. I want to thank everybody who listens to our show um, and everybody who uh, writes on our Facebook page and our Twitter and Instagram and engages in these super fun conversations, uh, talking about these songs and talking about the guests that we have and listening uh, and, and then following our guests and getting into their music or uh, or their films or whatever it is that they're working on or, or their websites or their blogs and, and following along with them. Uh, it's really created... This amazing new um, kind of circle that we get to enjoy, find ourselves in. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. Like I'm sitting here today. I just received in the mail uh, the latest um, edition of the Teetles uh-huh. magazine, Teetles 9. Uh, and honestly, never in my life have I found a, uh, a like basically like a Beatles fanzine that um, – you know, I, I didn't know that that was even a thing anymore. I thought you just had tumblers and, you know, well, I'm just too old for Tumblr. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, you know, being able to, like, find all these great people that we've met and that we've talked to that have this shared interest and dive into it from all different uh, 
sides of the equation and the conversation, it's so much fun. And they're also cool. Yes. Like they're kind and welcoming and friendly and they're not sneering. Yes. And judgmental and gatekeeping. Yes. Sometimes fandoms tend to be. So that has been I was sort of concerned about that when we started this. I'm just like, I don't want to deal with mean people. I don't feel like it. No. I'm not in the mood. Right. Ever. (laughs) And so it's been really nice to, you know, make all these new pod pals, uh, listeners and other podcasters Mm -hmm. and just uh, people that write books and people in the fandom that have just been so welcoming and kind and wonderful. I feel like we have so many new friends now. Yeah. And I can't wait to like maybe visit some of them. Yeah. Now that we, we got can some travel vaccines. again. Um, <laughs> what's also super cool, I feel like this has really reignited and renewed my love of the Beatles. Like, not that it ever went away, not that I was ever like tired of it, but it's it's like casted in a new light. It's got like a new uh, oomph behind it you mm-hmm. know it's not like I don't know how to how to best put it um, I just feel like it's so much more interesting than maybe it was before where it was just like more surface based but you know, I, if that makes sense we're diving in a little we're diving deeper. In deeper and we're I, hearing yeah. different perspectives yeah. from different people and having a discussion about it and it's it's none of it is well this is what i think about it and that is correct it's this is what i think about it what do you think do about you it think let's about talk it. about it yeah. oh that's really interesting you know what you've kind of changed my mind or you know what no i still kind of sit where i sat before but i see where you're coming from and i like it yeah <laughs> you know it's it's so nice to just like take in a conversation mm-hmm. without having to be correct yeah <laughs> it's so much fun um so from the bottom of our hearts uh thank you to everybody who listens to this show it's still bonkers to me that anyone listens to it other than kamala on uh, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that uh, every week um a really impressive number of people from around the world listen to our show in countries where english is not uh, the primary language. I don't know how you're hearing this or understanding it. I don't know. It makes no sense to me, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, so super, super cool, y'all. Thank you all so much for doing this. Um, before we dive into this week's episode, a little bit of housekeeping. As it is our one-year anniversary, uh, we have decided we're going to take a short little few-week break. Um, I don't know the exact number because we're still kind of ironing out some things. Uh, basically, as life has re-blossomed, uh, as things have opened up again, um, on our on our end, on both of our ends, Julia's getting very busy with work picking up back at the yoga studio for her. They're reopening the studio next week. Um, both of my bands are picking up more shows in addition to work being busy for me. Um, so there, the last few weeks, there got to be a point where like our calendar was really, really full. And it was just not a sustainable way to continue existing. Not at all. Um, there's nothing worse than editing a podcast at, you know, 1230 in the morning and realizing you were editing the wrong podcast. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to take just a few weeks, a couple weeks. I'm thinking three, maybe four. We're still trying to figure that out um, of time to just kind of like decompress a little bit, uh, organize our shows for the upcoming few months. Um, get all of our guests booked, start taping episodes, and uh, just kind of figure out how to make um, our Beatles podcast life 
fit into the calendar with uh, our regular lives. So I have to I have to get a little beauty rest for my voice. Yeah, <laughs> and get some uh, sleepy time tea, some throat coat tea. Yes. To uh, yeah. To I'm get... just kidding. I'm fine. <laughs> um, but that said, if you've just joined recently, there are 51 other episodes you can catch up back on from the beginning. And if you've listened to them all, go check out the myriad of other Beatles podcasts uh, that are rocking and rolling uh, while we're gone. But we won't be gone for long. Just a few weeks. We promise we're coming back. We're not going to take a break and then never come back. We've already got a ton of episodes booked for like through the rest of the year. So like, don't worry. We're coming back. We just need a breather. <laughs> we just need to take a little breather. Well deserved, I think, following a, a year of work. So. Yes. So uh, don't go anywhere. Keep following us. On the, we'll be. Po- I'll keep. I'll still be posting stuff and the conversation still be going. Um, he can't quit you. I can't quit y'all. I love you guys. <laughs> So let's talk about our show this week, though. Big episode number 52. Um, I want to give you guys a brief, a, a little history lesson of Julia and, uh, and, and I's relationship. Uh, when we started dating, uh, we first met August of 2003. Um, and when we first started dating, uh, I would make her mix CDs all the time. And um, that was like... Yeah, uh, you know, because I didn't have a tape deck anymore. I mean, I did, but I wasn't going to make a mixed Nobody tape. Nobody was doing mixed tapes anymore. Yeah, it was all mixed. It's mixed CDs, mix CDs. Um, and so it was just kind. Of, it was it, kind of this wonderful little, you know, that early part of our relationship where you're kind of realizing like maybe this is something that's going to be really big. I really like this person. Um, so some of the songs started to reflect that as we went on in our relationship. Uh, one night, uh, January of two thousand four. Laying in bed in my apartment, watching TV, um, watching Conan O'Brien. And the music guest that night uh, was a band called the Candy Butchers. And they came on and played this song called Nice to Know You off of the album they had just put out called Hang On Mike. And something about this song just hit me right in the feels. It's been real nice to know you. Melodically, it was exactly what I was looking for. Uh, you know, lyric-wise, it was it was perfect. It just it hit me. Uh, the next day, I went to the CD store in Baton Rouge, where I was attending college, and somehow they had the CD there, which like that never happens. Never happens. Because like all they had there was like country, because it was Baton Rouge. <laughs> um, so I bought the CD. Sorry. Uh, well done. Uh, so instantly became a huge fan of this of this band, and something was so familiar about this singer's voice I couldn't pinpoint it. And a early, you know, I shouldn't say early, but a 2004ish quick Google search, however quick that may have been, quickly led me to discover the singer of that band, a gentleman named Mike Viola, had also lent his vocal talents to the song "That Thing You Do" from the film of same name. Every musician that I know that is my age absolutely adores that film and will watch it anytime it's on television. Uh, the songs in that movie are absolutely fantastic. 
And it was one of those moments of like, I know I'd heard this voice before where had I heard it. And then I realized, Oh my God, it was the guy that's saying that thing you do. Holy shit. So then uh, once I'd gotten the CD, I put that song. Nice to know you on a mix CD that I'd given to Julia um, as kind of like a note to sup boo. Sup boo. I'm into <laughs> you. I like it. Let's see where this goes. Um, so that song played a big part in our early courtship, as it were. Um, and we have stayed a fan of Mike Viola uh, ever since. And um, it was, you know, kind of just a a shot in the dark to reach out and see if he'd be interested in, in appearing on our podcast. And lo and behold, he was. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Mr. Mike Viola. All right, Julia, are you ready for the intro? Sure. It's intro time. Here we go. So our guest this week is a singer, a songwriter, a producer, a little bit of everything. His records under his own name and with his band, The Candy Butchers, are what gained his initial notoriety as one of pop and rock's finest voices and songwriters, Uh, though he was also kind of a child rock prodigy, playing shows around Boston in his early teens and attracting label and management attention at 13 years old. Uh, His voice then went into everybody's ear holes as the singer on the track That Thing You Do, written by the late Adam Schlesinger for the film of same name. That's right, folks. It was not the dreamy Jonathan Sheck singing those songs. It was our guest today. Uh, From there, he continued making his own records and branched further into music for films, writing songs for Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. Amazing. Uh, Yeah. And as well as Get Him to the Greek, while also writing songs and producing and playing on records for artists like Fall Out Boy, Andrew McMahon, Mandy Moore, Shania Twain, Dan Wilson and Semisonic, and The Monkees. Uh, his latest record is 2020's Fantabulous God Muffin, which is available anywhere you can get your top quality music. It can also be ordered on pristine vinyl at MikeViola.com. We have a copy spinning on our turntable uh, upstairs. Well, it's not spinning right now, but it's on the turntable right now. So highly recommended that you get some Mike Viola music in your life. So very excited to talk about all matter of things, friends. Please welcome to the show, the one and only Mike Viola. Mike Viola, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm uh, I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm in my studio right now, uh, Barebone Studio, which is where I the happiest place on earth for me. So I'm I'm doing I'm doing good. Nice man. Thanks for uh, making yeah. some time for us today. Um, how has the last year plus been for you? I, I, I feel like we start all the shows like this now because um, everyone's mm-hmm. got kind of a different answer, you know, especially uh, musicians and creatives. What was uh, you put out a record at the end of last year, but how's the whole yeah. weirdness of everything been for you? Um, you know, it, it's creatively, it's very, a really strong year for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, a lot of that had to do with, uh, I reunited with my old friend um, in December, 2019 and we started playing shows together and um, Adam Schlesinger. And uh, in, so we were, we weren't playing together like on stage, but I would play a set with my friends <clears throat> of whatever songs I had and um, some old, actually never old songs, all new songs. And uh, Adam would be there doing, he had a piano karaoke uh, bar that he would do here in LA. And I was sort of, I would open for his piano karaoke thing mm-hmm. uh, just because we were friends and it, we would do crazy stuff like that in New York. We, we just create nights. Um, so yeah, it, it, was, it started off really creative for me. And then of course, Adam got really sick and took us all by surprise. And 
I went into a, a, a badness and just grief and uh, and I really we all thought he was going to pull through and I, and I went into this creative state of like man he's lying in bed in, in the hospital somewhere and he can't he's suffering and can't he can't do music I, I'm here in my studio just feeling bad just dig in and just stop. once I started I just got really creative and wrote a whole album worth of songs and and started recording and and then it just kind of never stopped and then Adam ended up like dying and it really took us all by surprise we were all shocked we thought we, he was going to pull through mm-hmm. um so after he died uh the creativity just kept going i've written so many songs this year and i think just out of spite <laughs> you know like <laughs> out of like defiance for 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 the, the death that happened and um the loss that we all experienced and um um so I, I just wrote a lot and I missed playing live. That's the biggest subtraction for me and going to see my friends play and new bands and, you know, favorite bands that play around. And I'm also one of those guys that like if Ambrosia or like Paul Anka is coming to town <laughs> uh, or, or, or Stephen Bishop, um, Adam and, you know, Adam and I would go see those bands because we, we love that stuff and we feel like we owe a debt to those to those easy listening <laughs> yeah. uh, and we owe a debt to it because we, we we're very we, we both relish melody and and fun chord progressions so yeah i miss i miss doing that i miss going out and seeing stuff and uh my family we all got covid but we were we didn't get it bad and i have to say like we were okay la was hit pretty bad but my family and and um my local friend group here, um, everyone was everyone was okay. Good, so good. I we ended up getting out of the other side of this year. Just you know, now with the kids are getting back to school, and we're starting to slowly see them start to feel a little more um, a little more human. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a long answer. It's I know year, man. It, I mean... it, it was a long year. Yeah, it was yeah. a long year, but but a very creative year. I, I can't really. I think the only way I can explain it is that it was just out of survival. I felt like if I, if I stopped, then I'd, I'd, um, the same thing happened when, uh, I lost my first wife way, way back. That hang on Mike, that -hmm. record is all about that. And like, um, when that happened, I did the same thing. I just threw myself into, into music, started the candy butchers and, you know, so I think that's my, my natural reaction to, to grief and trauma and stuff. It's just like, all right, it's, it's time to like, you know, sing yeah. is really what it is. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It, it's yeah. funny not to immediately throw it to Beatles related things or, or equate, no, go for it. but, but my God, that sounds like a McCartneyism. I mean, that's kind of always been Paul's MO, whether it's, you know, the Beatles ending and instantly just throwing himself into making, uh, you know, McCartney, yeah. Um, or Linda passing and him doing run devil run. Like it seems like that trauma or that kind of, you know, core shaking experience rattles something in certain creative people that just kind of unleashes, you know, source of material. Had you intended to make a record last year? Was that even, you know, not at all. Not at all. I know you had just put out American Egypt in 2018, I think. Yeah, yeah. And see, the thing is, there's really no reason for me to put out records. I'm not trying 
to become a rock star. I'm, I'm an artist. And so, so I just put out music. I'm an artist and I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky that people want to hear it. And, um, but my intention is always like, I love just making music. And I guess, honestly, the core intention is I write songs so I can sing. Like, um, like, you know, it's, I've been doing it my whole life. And like McCartney, I think like, I don't know really what else to do with mm-hmm. my body and, and my memories and this, you know, my ability to sing and figure out my way through a song and stuff. I, I mean, that's really how I define my life. I, I don't have any hobbies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I love my family. I love my kids, but there, I just had a session in, in here this morning. I'm producing a record and the artist was here and there was a full band in this little room and my eight year old daughter, Jojo, was in here engineering with me, you know, it's like, it's the music is, is part of my family's life, you know, and all the amps are in the house yeah. and I'm in here and I have wires going into the house. And so everyone's in there on trying to zoom on school and there's like leads playing and shit, you know, <laughs> so, That's you know, it's just part of my life. And, and it's just, and I, I, I did as a little, as a little kid, I saw how, uh, Linda and Paul, how they ran their life, their life, you know, um, mm-hmm. with the kids being involved. And that definitely rubbed off on me, I think. Yeah, for sure. I'm so sad that, you know, 2020 was what it was for everybody, especially you and, you know, Adam Schlesinger's friends. You know, we're, we were huge fans of his work as well. So, I mean, it, yeah. and that was one of the ones that really, you know, beat me up, you know, when it, when he passed, like it really like as, as musicians that I think came to the, the forefront during my, you know, formative years, my teenage years or twenties, you know, when someone of that generation passes, like it's new for us still, mm-hmm. you know, like when Adam Yauk passed, yeah. it was why? Like we were like, what? Yeah. Like it was one of those things. So, it, you know, it's one of those things that we're still, I think, I think yeah. still processing. Um, but I'm glad it, you know, it brought you to a place to, you know, really create some great stuff. God Muffin's a fantastic record. Uh, you know, we've both been listening to it since it came out. It's really, really good um, and very McCartney-ish. Thank and it's you. kind of like homegrownness. Sure. It feels um, yeah. intimate and homegrown. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a studio affair so much. You know, it feels like one person's kind of yeah. whole inner monologue. And I love that about it. There's so much I want to do. It's hard to keep track with the list in my mind. There's so much I want to do. But honey, it's not my time There's so much I want to see Sometimes it feels like I've lived a hundred lives There's so much I want to see But honey, it's dark outside Oh, don't be afraid No, don't be afraid We still have time Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really love records like that, you know, and um, I always would battle the record companies when I was a young man, like they want me to sound like, um, like Third Eye Blind or something. And 
and I and I didn't want to. I wanted to. I wanted to. You know, I wanted to sound like um, Ram, and then that's yeah. all I ever wanted to do when I was young. You know, and I didn't get a chance to do that until I left all of that business and um, branched out on my own um, to do to do that record, Lurch. Um, and it's funny because when I did Lurch, um, do you guys know that record at all? That's I've heard I've heard bits of it, and it, it is very yeah. very ramish. I would say very ramish. It's, it's very yeah. ramish. I, it's almost uh, it's to the extreme in some cases, but but um, uh, yeah, I was lucky around that time when I made that record. Um, I met Paul. I've met Paul a few times, but I met him. Um, and it's, it's a really incredible story, actually. That's very long, but the, <laughs> it's, it's an incredible story. Um, and basically I met him at Lincoln center in a dressing room. It was just me and him. And I got put in this dressing room alone and I was sitting there alone and I heard, <laughs> and I heard someone knocking and he was like, tone, tone. And I'm like, what? He was looking for somebody else and I was in the room and then he came in and, and he sat down with me and we ended up hanging out the whole night. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How cool. But I bring that, I bring that story up because, uh, because we were talking about Ram and he was like, so what you're a musician, what's your music like? And I was like, uh, <laughs> so I kind of based my whole life on the record Ram, you know, and, um, and, and you know what he said to me? He said, Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> what? I guess you never knew, dear boy, what you'd found. I guess you never knew, dear boy, that she was just the cutest thing around. I guess you never knew what you'd found, dear boy. I guess you never saw, dear boy, that love was there. Like he uh, he downplays yeah. Ram so much, uh, and I almost feel like yeah. he's just being like facetious about it because he's like, you know, every now and then I hear a young band say how much they love Ram, and I'm like, really? Like everyone loves Ram, Paul. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> so that's that's fantastic, though. Yeah. What a story! Wow. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. So cool. Well, if if yeah. I if I can, because I know yeah. we're I know we're we're limited on time. Uh, I want to you know I want to kind of jump back to your formative years, where did the Beatles first enter the picture for you? What's the first, uh, the first exposure for you? Um, I had an older, I had two older brothers and one was 10 years older. So he was old enough to be like of the age when Beatlemania hit that he was, you know, swept away by it. Mm -hmm. So I, I grew up like when I was five or something, four, uh, when I was four, the Beatles split up and I, I was old enough to react and be around and, and, um, my brother was a musician as well. So he was always playing music in the house and he was playing like, um, he was in a like deep purple cover band and stuff. So uh, he played organ and, but there was always Beatle music around sheet music and stuff. And 
Um, but it wasn't until he moved out of the house and I got all his records. He actually got kicked out of the house. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I got all his records and I got the soundtrack to hard days night, the red one, the mm. American version one. Yeah. So I got that. And, um, yeah, that was my introduction was that record. And then my brother, his name's Larry. Larry kept feeding me the cassettes of, you know, Beatles rock and roll music, I think was my second record, the Capitol Collection. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's silver. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that 50s yeah. throwback cover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my second, you know, so it was, it was, I didn't have like the full albums till much, much later, mm-hmm. till like the 80s, actually. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, and that was, that was my, and, and they just became, immediately became my, um, you know, I, I was a kid that grew up in the suburbs, so I grew up on like AM radio, which was like the Carpenters, Jim Croce, shit like that, Paul Anka, Ambrosia, like that's mm-hmm. why Adam was the same way. And um, so, like, but then the, the Beatles, like, it, were like, they were also on AM radio. You know, if I fell, we'd be on there, or like uh, all my loving, whatever. And yeah, so they they were like they they became my favorite band once I got that album and I got into that. And, uh, so it was a very, very young age and it set me on a course to, to write songs and to do it myself at very, very young age, like yeah. probably seven or eight, I started writing songs full on. Uh, and then, my, you know, Elton John came into my life and then there was that collaboration with John Lennon, which was a single when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, because the Beatles were still doing shit, uh, you know, very active, uh, and I was a big McCartney fan as well. So, yeah, inescapable, obviously, because it's the Beatles. But it does hit people differently. And for me, it was like the Beatles, like, uh, I just didn't seem to have a choice once I heard that music. I just had to do something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Who are the other yeah. kind of cornerstones in that in your DNA for that? You know, if, if the Beatles are one of those kind of inescapable things for you, you know, who are the other ones that, you know, really make up, you know, who you are, you would you say? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I mean, like full on, like to the core, it's Black Sabbath. <laughs> nice. The Bee Gees, the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> are you yeah. are you an early Bee Gees uh, guy or a, a to my, disco to my core. Bee Gees guy? I love the dis the disco Bee Gees. I just think it's brilliant. I love that music so much. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't list Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas song. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. I mean, funny. Oh, that's so funny you bring that up. Um, my, we, we talked about that today. We talked about that today uh, with, the, with the artists I'm working with. Uh-huh. Uh, we were talking about how incredible the, that record is, the Christmas record. And so- my daughter... Uh, do you, how do you know about that? Oh, so I was I watched your um, the start to finish videos on Instagram. Oh, They're so great! Cool. I, <laughs> I laughed out loud, like to myself. I was in the room by myself, and it made me laugh out loud when that popped up. And I was like, "Okay, I can see it. I see where yes. you're going with this. Okay, okay, okay." It, I, I, I learned all my harmony from like all the rules of harmony from the chipmunks. I really did. That's amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. those videos are so cool. As as a person that's not a musician and has never really um, 
understood or comprehended the recording process aside from like the few times I've popped into the studio while Jonathan's recording and just been like, this is so tedious. I'm going to go walk in traffic. Um, it's, it's so impressive the way that your minds work, how you can take all of these different instruments and somehow figure out how to put them together to make this incredible song. Like it, it's mind blowing to me. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take the thank you for that. <laughs> uh, for me, it's listening obsessively to like to stuff like Ram, you know, and listen. And I think McCartney listened obsessively to what he was listening to. I was reading this book on glam in the middle of this book on glam, um, and it turns out that uh, David Bowie was this big fan of this guy Anthony Newley. Do you know who that is? Mm-mm. I, I, so. I didn't know who that was either, and it, it it's opened up this whole new world. And this check out this guy Anthony Newley. He sounds exactly like David Bowie. David Bowie just like, he like basically like took his, a couple of his tricks and just made them his own, you know, and that's what musicians do. So it's not all, you know, magic. A lot of it's just pure theft. Right. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) What a great quote. I'm stealing that. I like that. (laughs) Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and turn our attention then to, uh, to this week's song. If that's, if that's okay for you. Sure. I love it. All right. Well, coming in this week at number 165 is Your Mother Should Know. So Paul McCartney made no bones about the influence that his father's music and his father's generation's music had on him. He's talked at length about growing up with music hall and big band jazz in his house and that it gave him an appreciation and knowledge of music that wasn't necessarily what his generation was into. And I think that's really true of all the Beatles as well. They definitely had a healthy appreciation and understanding for what became for what came before them. So it was during a visit from the same Auntie Jin that Paul would later name check on Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey that Paul wrote Your Mother Should Know uh, while playing on a harmonium inside his living room. Now, being the Beatle who always understood the value of connecting with not just their target demographic of fans, but listeners of all ages, uh, Paul wrote the song as an acknowledgement of the generation gap that was becoming more prominent during the 60s. It was his way of encouraging listeners to think that maybe the older generation had some knowledge that was worth listening to as well, particularly maybe your mother, uh, which also fits into kind of the more feminist side of Paul that we see in songs like Lady Madonna. And while he uh, so while he offers the song up as the band's contribution uh, for the June 1967 TV broadcast for the show Our World, uh, the rest of the band prefer John's All You Need Is Love, probably the right move at the time. Uh, but the Beatles eventually take up recording, Your Mother Should Know, following a two-month break at the end of August 1967, uh, recording at Chapel Studios for the first time due to Abbey Road being booked and not available on short notice. The band record eight takes of the song, and on August 23rd, they overdub vocals in a session, which would be the final time Brian Epstein 
uh, would join the, uh, the band in the studio, passing away just four days later. Uh, now, later on September 16th, they re-record the song with a new arrangement, more focused on the harmonium, which is what Paul wrote the song on. Uh, but they soon uh, leave the, uh, the new arrangement and return to the original recording, adding additional overdubs from there. Uh, the song was also seemingly envisioned uh, from the get-go as kind of the big dance production number for the Magical Mystery Tour film project, which the band were discussing earlier in the year. And once Brian passed, the band committed to the film to have something uh, you know, more concrete to work on. And eventually, Your Mother Should Know found its home as the big song and dance number that ends the film. Uh, the band never played the song in concert, aside from lip-syncing in Magical Mystery Tour, obviously. And it wasn't until 2013 that Paul actually dusted the track off live. So, why do I have Your Mother Should Know at 165? So there's a lot of opinions on the Beatles' more period-style songs. Uh, and these are almost always the McCartney tunes, the stuff that John kind of calls Paul's granny shit. And people seem to either love them or hate them. Uh, and this is one of the more interesting ones because it's maybe the only one that's not like a full, like tr like a, a full-on, true, committed pastiche. So if you think of like When I'm 64, Honey Pie, uh, Martha My Dear, Maxwell Silver Hammer even, uh, and even some of Paul's solo work like You Gave Me the Answer, they're all very true to the idea and period that they're supposed to sound like, especially <laughs> regarding instrumentation and sounds. On Your Mother Should Know, there's kind of this interesting sonic air of mystery to it. You know, the music hall numbers are never in a minor key, so it's already odd that this one is in a minor key. And it kind of sets it in a darker scene. And what's kind of a more unusual move for Paul, the bridge is all instrumental and maybe even unfinished. It just kind of has this kind of unfinished quality to it. Um, and he's usually great for bridge vocals, but what we get is this organ break. And the organ has a quality that's maybe not quite as pristine and sparkling and colorful as the sounds that we just got earlier in the year from Sgt. Pepper. Uh, it adds this kind of like weird tinge of darkness to it, to my ears at least. Um, the backing vocals are great. They're always great with the three-part harmony. But even here, there's kind of like a strange maniacal quality in the falsetto that, again, makes it kind of more of like a twisted version of the music hall ID or idea. Uh, and when you watch it in conjunction with the film, you know, seeing them in white tuxedos, doing synchronized dancing, jauntily down this large staircase and this big production number, uh, it's just so bizarre and weird. But it's the Beatles and it's Paul, so of course it's also insanely catchy and melodic and beautifully done. And no other band could have done this, especially on an album where the next song is I Am The Walrus. Uh, so it's the most bizarre thing in the world to me. <laughs> uh, so that said, um, I open the floor to discussion. Mike, I throw it to you, my friend. Wow, that is, I just learned so much. Thank you. That, that, was, an, that was incredible. That was incredible. Um, yeah, the interesting thing for me, uh, the biggest kind of like, uh, why I think this song is so badass and um, in such a like punk choice for Paul to put forward at a time when, when like we did have all you need is love right. and we had, I am the walrus um, and even baby, baby or a rich man. Like John had like these like songs with teeth and for him to do one of these granny tunes about women uh, it's a feminist song it's about it's about like hey you know we're all having fun in the sun in my mind i've i hear it like you know it next to all these other songs that were you know loosing the sky with diamonds and lovely rita um like 
more more the trippier ones and the the fun like or Beatles songs this one is decidedly not psychedelic at all and what makes it like more of a punk choice to me is that he's saying like what you said you know your mom's pretty awesome yeah. you know <laughs> how about you how, you know and that that for me is really cool it reminds me of like what cheap trick did in that song surrender uh where like it's not about like you know screw your parents you know uh your parents don't know anything don't trust anybody over 30 or whatever it's more about like your parents are rocking too they're listening to your kiss records making out on the couch you know what i mean (laughs) that's that's you know that's the premise of that thing Mm -hmm. uh and i think your mother should know has a um i don't know just has a similar thing there where like paul like in a in a it's not ironic he's not being like you know he's not being a wise guy about it it's just a great melody that melody is so long over these chords that like can you hear that can you hear that Mm -hmm. yeah but anyway like like the idea of that melody like lennon would write melodies in this time especially that were really short like I am he as you are, we are, we are, we are, we are all together. Right, you like I mean? two, three notes at max, yeah. Yeah, and, and while that is genius and amazing, and next to Paul, who was doing like, it's crazy. It's like all over the place. It's the whole, it's eight bars. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't repeat till, but then it, the, the, the genius thing about it is he's like, sing it again. <laughs> I love that. And so I see it, uh, I got to plug my phone in or I'm going to be dead in a oh, second. No. <laughs> I, 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 I see it as like, you know, uh, just brilliant in its simplicity like that. And it's actually not simple uh, quarterly. You read that Barry Miles book, Blackbird, uh, I think it's called. Uh, his like autobi- his biography. Yeah, his called. biography. I read it years and years ago. Like yeah, yeah, me back too. In, like the early two thousands. Yeah, exactly. Me too. And something stuck with me though, and I don't know if I'm making this up or not, but I think around this time, like it either stuck with me or I fabricated it because this is something I want to believe. Because Paul's chord progressions, be. Uh, in his melody, like starting with like yesterday, his, I, I, and that was written on a piano. Mm-hmm. Like his chord progressions got, got more, like there was more major sevens and like the A with the fifth in the bass, you know, there's a, there's a lot more of that. Like, mm-hmm. and, and like kind of keyboard, very keyboard focused, like tricks of just like shapes on the keyboard. It's almost like, I, I feel like he might've taken lessons around, like around the time of, you know, and he was just unloading all this stuff he learned in lessons or something. I, I wish yeah. I knew. I, I, I don't know. But uh, that that does yeah. make sense because he does get really a lot more intricate in his yeah in his chord shapes. Like he starts picking he really up does. more like I hate I hesitate to say gospely things, but like things that just fill out the chord more than like a traditional. You know, I almost yeah. wonder if, if if he's picking up a lot of what Brian Wilson's doing with chord shapes. Yeah, and just kind of following the, the lead on that. On that for sure. Yeah, I th- I think the thing I always find interesting about these songs with Paul is that like, 
I don't want to say there's no hint of irony in them because I feel like there is, but it's very, very small. And it always seems like these songs mm. come from a place of real affection for that type of music. Um, oh, yeah. An appreciation. Like, in order to do Martha, My Dear, you've got to understand how that music works. And not just like, yeah. oh, I heard this one thing, let's make fun of it. You know, like... Um, yeah, no, it's, like it's Honey very, Pie very is the same heavy. way. Like, and yeah. it's funny because John calls it Paul's granny shit, but then John does this amazing guitar solo in Honey Pie where it's like, yeah. well, you know exactly where he's coming from. So don't sit here and yeah. be all high and mighty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that was just part of the way that worked. You know, yeah. Paul, I mean, John was there to to, to kind of diffuse and swat him down a little bit just optically. But like, yeah, I mean, he. I think he loved that stuff personally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, do you, how do you feel really on this do. one? You know, I, I try to listen to the songs in a vacuum but for some reason for this one i didn't do that because it's one of paul's like sort of nods to the past so i'm like well what's around it like what's going on here and so i pull up the album and i'm like okay so we've got blue jay way your mother should know into i am the walrus and the whole thing is like the three songs together, like, recently you said when we were doing the Cry Baby Cry episode, like, that's the most disturbing 11 minutes of the Beatles for mm-hmm. you. I find these 11 minutes also a little unsettling. <laughs> like, it's, like, it, you know, the song, this one a little less sort of unsettling than the other two. Um, but it, it, like, the sort of background vocals are a little spooky. Sure, sure. <laughs> and then when you put it, I actually, I didn't realize that this song was in the movie mm-hmm. so i pulled up that scene with the tuxedos john's face looks like a fucking maniac i'm like yeah. what yeah. is happening He's right got here this giant like jack nicholson joker <laughs> grin and it's there's, yeah. there's a great shot of the four of them and paul is you know he's he's a sincere guy he always is and he's really like he's doing the work he's there and he's happy and he loves what they're doing john's got this grin that's like this it's equal shit eating and also like just having the time of his life. <laughs> George looks like he wants to be anywhere, anywhere. else. And Ringo's like, yeah. I'm here for the team, guys. Like, yep. I love that picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe it when I saw John's face. Yeah. I'm like, you look like a complete maniac. <laughs> what is going on? Oh my gosh. And I think that sort of enhanced the feeling of the unsettlingness yeah. of the these three tracks together. I can see that. Um, yeah, I I thought that was like a really yeah. It's like it's it. I think I think you know, yeah. I think I think that I'm not sure why John looked that way, but I do remember uh, there's a there was a lot of that throughout that movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that like Brian died, they were getting away with something. They knew that was really pretty bad, you know. The movie, I think they all knew that was like, oh god, this is not. We're not really pulling this off. Let's yeah. shovel a bunch of spaghetti and call it a scene, you know. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I, of course, I own it, and it's on this phone that I'm talking to you on now, and I watch it all the time. But <laughs> no, of course, but um, uh, no, there's I, just swinging back to like the fact that at the height of psychedelia, Paul would love a song about mothers. Right. That's huge. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, it's it's musically deep. It's so deep, just like Martha, my dear, like. It's beyond me how he, how, what he did, um, you know, 
it's it's beyond me how he did that where where he pulled that out of it's yeah. just it just is you know um and you know uh so i think and i think personally i think john like because john would do it too like every once in a while like a song like if i fell would just be like this intricate chord thing and this crazy melody you know and so, i don't know yeah um I don't know what was going on in that scene on the stairs, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny how a lot of the time John can be such a shit. Like, you know, when they're filming that scene on the stairs, like he's being a shit. Like yeah. he's like, this is Paul's granny shit. I'm just going to yeah. be here. I'm just going to be like, a shit about it. You're asking me to do a song and dance routine. Right. In a tuxedo. Like, what? Are you kidding <laughs> me? But then he can also be the same person that writes, if I fell. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's like such a yeah. beautiful, lovely, yeah. sincere, like. Or Julia. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, or, or, it's so or, funny. Or even that he has his own, his own mother's song is Julia. Yeah. You know? His own other song is Julia. Mm-hmm. So it's like, he, and that song is as intricate as it gets. Yeah. But it's also like melodically, they is meaningless. Yep. It's like one note. <laughs> yeah. But like, I never thought Don, about you know, that one thing. He really does that. I mean, yeah. think of Lucy, yeah, you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Picture yourself help. in a. Yep, help. help. Uh, Turn off your mind, relax. And blah, blah. Like, he really does yeah. the one note thing. Wow. I he, know. Does, he does it all the time. What a one yeah. trick pony. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think the thing is, is that um, that was just his deal. You yeah. know what I mean? And Paul heard uh paul felt and heard music in long phrases like music hall songs and like standard songs were long like deep phrases you know um like all those old uh show tunes as well you know you gave me the answer to love eternally i love you and you you seem to like me uh, and I think he heard and felt music that way in, in his DNA. John was more, it was more staccato and just like, just a different thing. Yeah. But yeah. Well, it's like John's looking to the word for the, at the word to be the impactful piece. And Paul's looking at the melody mm-hmm. to work in conjunction with the word. So it's almost like. Maybe John's putting yeah, less think, weight on the vocal melody as opposed to the word itself. Yeah. That being said, John was the one uh, when it was really his band, like the first four records or whatever it is, like, you know, before Sergeant Pepper, it's just clearly John's band. Like he, uh, his chord progressions were way more adventurous than Paul's with mm-hmm. the exception of yesterday. But even yesterday's like, voice leading wise and just like it just it is what it, it it's you know it's a path that's been laid down before but like lennon would do stuff that um he'd just be carving out his own brand new stuff like like help mm-hmm. actually there's nothing there's nothing like that before yeah. help you know yeah. uh, or or ticket to ride um there's pieces of dylan in it and there's you know melodically and stuff but um like dylan also i think lennon learned a lot from Dylan because Dylan did a lot of that. Like he would do a lot of monotone stuff like right. subterranean homesick blues and um, Karina Karina and stuff. I don't know. So kind of all over the road. I'm off-roading now with my opinion on Sean. <laughs> there are no off-roads on this show. That, yeah. That's basically uh, what we do here. We go off on tangents yeah. and then yeah. we come back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I'll, 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 pull, I'll bring this back full circle then. If you, 
Mike, we're going to do a, a cursory ranking of songs, of the Beatles songs. Where would this fall for you? Does 165 seem out of bounds? Um, for me personally, yeah, it would be, it would be, um, but I haven't done the ridiculous thing that you've done, which is like actually try and do it. So <laughs> I, I don't know, actually, now that you asked the question, I, if I think about it, I would, I think it's one of my favorite Beatles songs. I cover it all the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, I cover it live uh, and people sing along and, you know, whenever we have like a, you know, if we're having a dinner party here and things get loose and I sit at the family piano, that's definitely one of the ones I, I pull out. People love it. Nice. Um, so it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite Paul duties. Yeah. I feel like this you is know? one that gets overlooked a lot too. Like yeah. Magical Mystery Tour as an album, I think it's overlooked a lot. And I think this is one of those songs because it's on a record that's got Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane and Hello Goodbye and I Am The Walrus, uh, All You Need Is Love, like... That's a lot of heavy hitters on a short album. So I think this one kind of gets, yeah. you know, forgotten about a lot. So I like I love hearing uh -huh. that you that you that you cover it a lot. Uh, one thing that always intrigues me about this this record and I'll I'll ask you because I know you, you know, as a producer, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Sgt. Pepper is such a pristine sounding record, right? Everything is it's clean, it's sparkly, it's well done. And there's like a kind of a grittiness to this record. It almost sounds like they're like doing things on like maybe like cheaper tape or something that just doesn't have the same sonic uh, depth to it. Am, am I off base in thinking about that? Like I think about the organ in the bridge no. seems really weird to me. On like it just like something about it isn't up to snuff sonically. Is it just the song or the whole I record? I maybe hear it on Blue Jay Way. Because um, you said they recorded this in a different studio. Yeah. So that could be yeah. part of it. But I feel like maybe I hear yeah, it on Blue I, Jay I, Way, I, too. I, I don't know. It's definitely, like, the whole White Album is dirtier. And, and the reason why is they changed the, they did change, I'm pretty sure they changed tape machines. They went to 8-track after um, Sgt. Pepper. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. They didn't change consoles until um, Abbey Road. Right. But they they still they still had the red consoles or the, the EMI consoles. But um, what's interesting, we, yeah. So anyway, and also Jeff Emmerich is the genius behind the way Sgt. Pepper sounds. You know, clean as you're saying, because that 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 record wasn't um, mastered. So when you make a record, you record it, you mix it, and then you send the quarter inch tape. Uh, you don't do that these days. You send digital files. Yeah. I mean, I send quarter inch tape because I'm an animal and I still record <laughs> on tape. But, um, uh, but um, you send back in the day, you would send the tape to the mastering engineer and then another person would put their hands on the music and compress it more, uh, you know, EQ it and um, edit the endings and the beginnings and stuff. And, um, but uh, Sergeant Pepper was done. Jeff Emmer did not master it. He cut the acetate directly from the um, really from the master reel. Yeah, wow. from I the am... mix reel. He, he did not. He did not master that record. So one of the reasons why it sounds the way it does, and also because of the way they recorded it, um, which is a whole other podcast, you know. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's just you know. Do you have that uh, Mark Lewison book, Recording the Beatles? Do yep. you have that one? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of deep clues in there. Um, 
worth yeah. worth checking out. And yeah. I, I I think the the sonic elements of of this song um, are one of the things that kind of give it that weird kind of like you know it, it's almost like an unsettling version of music hall. You know, I keep I, I keep thinking back to you know it's in a minor key. It's got this prominent organ part, and it's got, it's kind of like you don't remember the first time you like sat and like played a Beatles record backwards to listen to a clue and you had that really like kind of like spooky feeling about it. Like that's what it, this song reminds me of in that bridge section. It's mm-hmm. that kind of just general spookiness of like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> um, and I love that about it though. I love that about it. Where would you put I think it? it I, Go ahead, sorry. That's it's that. I think in that section, that mm-hmm. part there. Yeah. Like, I think it's a, <laughs> it's just that, that note's just, it's an E note, like riding under this thing. And like, it's just make, making it really dark. And I, I definitely think like the organ tone, like you're saying, is just, I, I think it's fabulous. I love the tone, but I, yeah, I think it's, I think it makes it really, really warbly and dark and scary. And the, you know, so yeah. So yeah. actually it, it, it harmonizes like this. It goes. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really a so cool, it's like cool thirds. Part. Yeah. yeah, it's really a cool part. So where would you put it, Julia? How do you feel? Yeah, this Julia, what um, do you think about this? I I feel okay about it. I I like this song. Um, I really I don't have any complaints about it. Really, um, we've been singing it for like a week around the house. <laughs> I know. I I feel like I might put it a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, just because I dig it, like I. There's a couple of songs, one of the songs you mentioned earlier, that's like one of his sort of pastiche songs. You know, I cannot stand that song. Oh, Martha, my dear? Yeah. I don't know what it is about that song. It just grates my ears for some reason. Yeah. Like that, I don't know. I can't do it. Every time you play it, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I like this way better. And we haven't gotten to Martha, my dear yet. Sure. So that's at least one spot higher that I would put it. Probably a few more. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I, I'd move it up a little bit. I dig this one. Okay. I, I dig sort of the 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 touch of spookiness. It's yeah. not like mega spooky. Sure. But it's a touch spooky. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Well, I think we've got a good con- a good consensus on it. Um, Mike, can we shift and do a few rapid fire questions before we let you go for the evening? No problem. Sure. Excellent. Ooh, I do have one question Ooh. to pop in with really quick you because you uh, mentioned playing live and I was just wondering if you're going to, you know, like when things start to get safer to travel, right. will you be touring Godmuffin? I would love to. And I've been talking to an agent about it and um, the agent's like very optimistic about, you know, putting me out there and, and, and setting me up in some small clubs. I would love to, love to, love to. I'm playing in New York. Um, where are you guys based again? New, New Orleans. Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans. Oh, man, I love New Orleans. Nice. But you never play here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love, I, I've been there a bunch. There's um, a few bands down there I was working with. Yeah, I love New Orleans. Um, so, yeah, uh, I would love to play New Orleans. Jeez. Um, Please do. But, um, yeah so <laughs> so yeah i'm talking i'm talking to my agent about it and he seems pretty optimistic that he can put together something for me um so i, I hope so 
nice. Okay, cool. Thank I will, well. uh, yeah, I'll look out for that because if you book a show Thank, here. Thanks for asking. We'll definitely yeah. be there because we've never seen yeah. you live. We've been listening to oh, you man. for yeah. how many years now? How old? Uh, it'll be 2004, I guess, was when we. Amazing. When Hang on Mike came out, right? Yeah. Right. So that's a and quite no, a long I've been, time. I'm such a. I'm such a, like, I never really was a touring musician, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yes. I, I've toured with other, with other people, like a guitar player or something, but never as Mike, you know, I haven't really done that all that much. Yeah. So I would love to do it. And the thing is, is like, I, I was talking to my agent about it and I was like, you know, age guy, I don't care if there's, I'm still making records and if people want to see me, I would love to get out there and play. I encourage everybody to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think like, Godmother especially is like a very good sort of uh, mid-post pandemic record because it it feels very like light and spacious in a very good way. Like it's not like there's some stuff that I just don't want to listen to right now because it's too much. It's like assaulting my ears and I'm like not into it. But this is just such a nice like spacious like a there's room there it's like you can breathe when you listen to it and it's like yeah i would 100 percent go sit in a limited oh, wow. seated club and listen to the hell out of this you play this record live. nice <laughs> yeah. that is so that is so awesome it's so awesome that you put it that way because honestly when i was writing these songs i was trying to leave room for the listener to to find their way inside the song i didn't want to crowd them with my own idea of what the song was so that really means a lot that you said that julia thanks all right let's do some rapid fires then first thing off the top of your head your favorite beatles song and it can be of all time or it could be today however you want to take it oh man that's the worst question (laughs) ever that's the best question ever (laughs) oh my god why don't we do it in the road wow all right uh To counter that, your least favorite Beatles song. Why don't we do it in the (laughs) room? Yes. Uh, Favorite Beatles album? And hands down, Revolver. Yeah, nice. Okay, okay. I feel like I haven't asked this one in a while. I don't know why. Who's your favorite Beatle? Uh, It fluctuates, you know, it totally fluctuates, but if I guess by the point, Paul. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. A follow-up to that, and it's not not a short question. Do, did you do you find that the Beatle you relate to the most has changed through the year, through the years, and you've ended up at Paul? No, I feel like I've changed through the years, and now I'm more like John, but I was like Paul. I think Paul is still Paul. Well, I, I mean, the Beatle that you relate to the most. Well. I don't know. I, I think I relate to John okay. more than okay. I relate to Paul. But I think that like my kid brain, which is still obviously very active. I have, I have a Wolfman doll over there. Um, <laughs> my, my, my kid brain, which is really active, still is like, oh, I, mean, I love Paul. He said, you know what I mean? I've got a Ringo yeah, doll go. right here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, what do I have? I have this free Paul. Can you see that? Nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he got when, when he, he got, got busted, busted in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, anyway, my kid brain loves Paul, but like my adult, the adult Mike, really, I just love John yeah. way more than Paul. So nice. okay, know. cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, and finally, and you can take a second to think about this: your favorite memory associated with anything Beatles. It could be a song. It could be 
meeting Paul, uh, anything Beatle related. Yeah. Okay. So the first, the, the best memory that I cherish most of all would be when I was with my first wife who, um, um, was my childhood sweetheart and she ended up dying of cancer and at very, very young age. But, um, we went to Saturday night live and we got, we, I just knew somebody that could get me to the rehearsal when Paul McCartney played Saturday night live and Linda was in the band and I was late because I didn't know how to get to New York and how to like park in New York. I didn't know I was a young <laughs> kid and, and you know what I mean? And I was late and I, and we got into uh, 30 Rock and we get up to the SNL, we get up to the studio and we're literally like the second to last person in line and then the person to get in. And it was all general admission. And the one of the guys with the, with the headsets was like, hey, if anybody needs to go to the bathroom, you got to go now. And I was like, oh, man. And I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I was like, I got, I got to go, go to the bathroom. She's like, dude do not you come on we're like we're not gonna get in they're gonna and i was like i have to go and so the bathroom came back we were the last people seated and the guy with the microphone thing looked at me and said this is your lucky day behave yourself <gasps> and i was like i didn't know what he was talking about and um like as i drove to new york from boston i didn't live in boston at the time i lived in i'm sorry i didn't live in new york at the time i lived in boston so i, I drove up and i was very green and I, he sits me down, like, very close to where the band is going to be. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. He sat me in the front. That's really cool. Oh, it gets better. So, again, this is a rehearsal. This wasn't the taping of the show. It was the rehearsal. So Paul plays uh, whatever song it was. I think it was, like, Biker Like an Icon or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, and um, he, the, the, the guy with the headset comes over and ejects the person in front of me and ejects the person to the right of Kim and looks at us both and says, okay, you guys both behave yourself. Seats Linda in front of me <gasps> and seats Paul to the right of Kim. Wow. And I look at Kim. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, we're, but we're trying to be, we're trying to be cool. And then Linda turns around and she's like, this is a trip, isn't it? And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so great. She's like, so you can say hi to Paul. He's great. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, what am I going to say to Paul? Oh my God. He's right there and he's sitting right next to him, the love of my life. And I reach across Kim and I'm like, hey, Paul, my name's Mike. Great songs. <laughs> and he was like, That's all I said to him. And he was like, hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. What's your name? And he started talking to Kim and then they great songs oh my god it was the best memory i have oh, <laughs> that's great songs. amazing was, that was, spectacular. was that the episode where he did like the chris farley yes talk show? oh it was my that god episode. it's so good and, and alec baldwin was on it was so good yeah it was so good i think yeah did, weren't they in the crowd when sandler did like red hooded sweatshirt or something like that yeah and yeah, so that the, was it the bit so if if I was at the rehearsal, not, right, you know what right, I mean? Right. So that's why I'm not on TV, but. Oh, uh, wow. Isn't that funny? Man, how great so, is that? Wow. Such a great memory. So, and I've, I've met him like, I've been really fortunate. I've met him like four or five times and 
and it's been really cool every time. Yeah. It's been really, really cool. Yeah. It's never been weird. It's never been, I've never lost my shit to a degree that I might think I would, you know, sitting here talking to you. Actually, it went okay. Yeah. <laughs> Has... I said stupid shit like great songs. But... <laughs> Did you ever tell him that story when you met him subsequently? No, I didn't. We, we, I didn't tell him that story. Uh, it, because we were on, I hung out with him the whole night. We were on this crazy ride that I just was like, yeah, I did not tell him that story. <laughs> that would have been back so funny. Yeah. But I wonder if he would have like remembered it because that's a very specific, it's not like you like met it, him it at is. a random club somewhere, like yeah. what, totally. you know, like in the middle of nowhere. Like that's a, it's totally true. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. Has there been an artist yeah, that you uh, totally lost your shit over when you met? Ozzy. When I met Ozzy, I was, um, I was, um, 15 and, um, I had somebody who wanted to manage me and he was this really mobbed up guy. He was like, you know, what are the three things you want, you want from me as a manager, you know? And I was like, ah, I want to meet Ozzy. That was like the top of the list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, uh, so Ozzy was playing and Randy Rhodes had just died. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and, uh, so he was on the Diary of a Madman tour and he kept touring. Ozzy like shaved his head and got this weird blue tattoo of this dude on his on his chest, and then uh, I went to the Providence Civic Center. Was with my mom, and I had I brought a guitar with me that I had my uncle who would work on golf clubs, and he I had this he I ripped this pa- this picture of Randy Rhodes out of um, Cream Magazine and had my uncle laminated on the back of my Les Paul. Wow! <laughs> so I brought the guitar just to show Ozzy like. I brought it to show Ozzy. Like I didn't bring it, you know, just have him sign it or like, I didn't, I just wanted to show him. Uh-huh. I don't know. And nobody told me that that was a bad idea. And I go and I'm backstage and then I'm really nervous. And Ozzy comes back and, and he's like, Hey, I, oh, I, I want to show you something. I'm shaking. I'm lo- totally losing my shit. And I just, and I didn't say anything to him. I just said, I want to show you something. I open up the Liz Paul guitar case, pick it up. And he sees the thing of Randy Rhodes and he's like, what the fuck did you do that for, man? Oh, God. <laughs> Mike, oh, my God. And then my, and then my mother's with me and, you know, my mother's, you know, my mother's like, oh, Michael really loved Randy. He was such a genius. And, you know, like he just, we just wanted to show you. And I was just like, this is so fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then my mother's like... How are you feeling, Ozzy? You know, uh, I heard you had a cold because you read about it in my cream magazine. So the cold oh was gosh, probably like man. like months old or whatever. Right. Yeah. That's so cute. That's uh, amazing. I brought you some soup. Right. <laughs> Have some crackers and some yeah, Sprite. It was, it was pretty much like, yeah, and guess what? Your mother should know. Right. <laughs> well done, well done. My mother, my mother was so incredible in that situation she really was because i i I don't know except for the fact that she should have told me dude don't bring the guitar (laughs) (laughs) show him his dead friend on the back of your guitar oh my gosh exactly Uh, yeah and i and i spent the whole concert thinking about like why did i i saw him i met him before the concert and i spent the whole concert one like why did i do that oh my god just kicking myself anyhow (laughs) mike thanks so much man what's what's next for for you in the in the coming year what's what's the next plan um i'm I'm producing three albums this year i'm very excited about and i'm i've started writing for um for my new record 
So, uh, awesome. and, and I haven't started recording yet, but I've started writing for it. So my hope is like, I'll get a new record done and then maybe tour the new rec record with Godmoth and sometime in 2022. That's my hope. Nice. Well, we are, yeah. we're looking forward to, uh, to whatever it is and hopefully uh, cool. we'll see you live at some point soon. Where can uh, all of our listeners keep track of all, all things, all things you <laughs> uh, I think m mostly like just on, you know, it's uh, social media and stuff and in my website, MikeViola.com. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Man, yeah. Well, Mike, thanks so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. We really appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with us and, uh, and talk Beatles. And if you ever want to, if there's another song that you like super love and want to come and talk about, we'd love to have you back Great. on, man. That's fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. It was really, really fun. And, and um, you guys are very brave doing what you're doing. <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Well, have a good night, man. And thanks to your family for letting you us too. have an hour of your time, man. Appreciate it. Okay, great. Bye-bye, you guys. Right. Thank thanks, you. Mike. Thanks, man. Mike Viola, everybody. How about that? What a bunch of fun, man. Oh, my gosh. His Aussie Those story. Oh. So good. <laughs> I felt genuinely, like, bad for him in that moment yes yes <laughs> all these years like, later you feel that like secondhand like oh right. i want to hug you <laughs> <laughs> oh god and the mccartney story is is great too. oh my gosh i, I like it's listeners got you... the, it's got the tinge of that like remember when you were in the beatles oh my gosh i know That's we say awesome. that all the time <laughs> <laughs> i have no doubt i would say something probably even way way less uh you probably wouldn't even be able to muster words. Yeah. You would just Even you would now I can't even think of how, yeah. how poorly it would go. Yeah. <laughs> I would just probably drool and lay on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would just be like, <gasps> and then you wouldn't breathe until you passed out. <laughs> I would just thumbs up. Two thumbs up the Two whole time. <laughs> Mr. McCartney, thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, friends, what do you all think about your mother should know? At number 165. Are we way too high? Are we way too low? Or just like mm -hmm. Baby Bear's Porridge? Is it just right? Oh, God. No. We're not doing a voice <laughs> in addition. going to ASMR it. No. Or just right. That's not ASMR. That's not what that is. Well, it is now. That's, um. I'm going to ASMR. That's like late night radio. Porridge. Oh, God. Please don't. <laughs> please do not. That's like the Keith Wet Radio Show. Have you heard it? What? It's like the Keith Wet Radio Show. No. Keith Sweat. Like, what? what am I saying? It's the Keith Sweat radio show where he's like, this is Keith Sweat. This is the, the Sweat Shop or whatever he calls it. Oh. It's like a real sexy thing. Oh. I don't do that. I mean, he makes sexy songs. He it does. would make sense. He does. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> so let us know what y'all think about this particular ranking of Your Mother Should Know at 165. Let us know on the Facebooks and Instagrams and Twitters. Um, Hope you guys enjoyed it. Do yourselves all a favor and check out Mike's new album, God Muffin. Yes. On his website, anywhere you can uh, stream music, it's there. We'll have all the info in the show links. Uh, so do yourselves a favor and go check it out. And uh, yeah, tell your friends about the show. All that good stuff we say every week. And uh, leave us a good rating. Uh, if you're not following us on social media, you can do so on Facebook at... Ranking the Beatles. You can do so on Instagram at... Ranking the Beatles. And you can also follow us on Twitter at... Ranking Beatles. That's right. So, friends, that's all we got for this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a blast. Good job, Julia. Oh, thank you. Well done. High fives. We'll be back we're, eventually. We're always, we're always around. 
So <laughs> we'll see you then. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Julia. This is Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all.